So good to have you with us. We are in week three of a series that we're calling Build. We're in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. It's kind of our textbook for this series. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. It was his job to taste the king's food before the king did. How many, how many just feel like that's gross? Right? But in his day and age, there was some high probability that the king's food might be poisoned. So how many knew if there was a good chance that your food would kill you, it'd be okay if somebody tasted it before you? Right? Now that person becomes very valuable in your life. And so uh, Nehemiah became very valuable in the life uh, of the king, and he had a relationship with him. But uh, Nehemiah was... Uh, he had a homeland in Jerusalem, and some people had come from Jerusalem, and, and they, they're about, I think, about 700 miles away is where Nehemiah is living, and they told him about the state that Jerusalem was in. They told him that the walls were torn down, it was a desolate place, and, and the people were hurting and suffering. They had no protection from their enemies, and it was, a, it was kind of a disgrace to Israel. And so Nehemiah got a burden, and he got a vision that he would go to his homeland where he had never been before because he was living in exile and captivity, but he, he got this burden to go and to rebuild those walls. And so he, when the time was right, he, he shared this vision with the king, and the, and the king said, okay, I'm, I'm going to let you go, and I'm going I'm to help you go do this. And so what these walls were, it, they were a sign, a picture of Israel's brokenness because they had walked away from God. So when, when we're talking about rebuilding walls, it's much more of a spiritual journey journey than it is a construction project. If that makes sense to you, just wave at me a little bit so I know you're awake this morning. Okay, yeah, Four of you are awake, so that is awesome. That's three more than last week. So anyway, it, we're, we're, not, we're, we're not talking really about a construction project. It's, it's, it's a construction project that was taking Israel on a spiritual journey, and the attempt was to get them back to God and heal their brokenness. And as a church, we recognize that we also live in a world and a culture with lots of brokenness right now, but we feel like God has called us to be people that rebuilds hope, rebuilds faith, rebuilds love in a world that desperately needs to know their creator. A crumbling world needs a church that is building something. Can you say amen this morning? That's what God's called us to do. We are rebuilders. We are repairers of the breach. We are restorers to broken humanity. And some of the building blocks that we build with are, number one, prayer. Chris led us through that in week number one of this series, and he looked at Nehemiah's prayer life. Nehemiah is just always talking to God. In fact, if you were talking to Nehemiah, you weren't just talking to Nehemiah. You were talking to Nehemiah and God at the same time. You were in a three-way conversation, and he didn't respond to you until he first had heard from the Lord. And if you and I are going to be people that build stuff, we need to be continually growing in our prayer life. Can you say amen? Then last week we looked at Nehemiah's leadership. Nehemiah was a servant leader. We said you can try to shove your way into leadership or you can serve your way into leadership. God's way is always through serving. If we're going to be a church that rebuilds broken things, we need to lead with servant leadership. Now today we're going to look at two more kind of blocks 
used by people who rebuild. And, and they are these. Justice, number one is justice. And number two is generosity. Justice and generosity. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5 this morning. And in this chapter, the people of Israel, they are well into this rebuilding project. Uh, Nehemiah has organized them into family groups And they've gone to the wall, usually the one closest to their house, and they began family by family, section by section, they're rebuilding these walls. Do you know that these walls have been broken down for 120 years, and they rebuild them in 52 days? Don't tell me God can't do a quick work in our lives. Can you say amen? I'm telling you, some of us, we're, we're, we're down, we're depressed, we feel like there's no hope, we feel like there's no light, but we look into the Word of God, we can see over and over again that God is able to take people who will surrender their lives, surrender their hands, surrender their hearts, surrender their finances to them, whatever it takes, and God's able to take a group of people and raise them up as a remnant and do a quick work in this earth, and what took 120 years for previous generations just sitting around staring at, God raised up this group of people and did an awesome thing in them and through them in 52 days. If God can do it, then he can do it right now. Y'all was quiet this morning. Somebody said, bring back coffee to Crossroads Church. <laughs> soon and very soon, we're going to see caffeine. All right, so anyway, they, they organized the, the, the workers into the, the family groups the families go out and they begin to, to rebuild, but as they get a little further into the work, some division starts to arise. And Nehemiah, as the leader, he's got to respond in order to keep unity. Nehemiah 5, if you have your Bibles, and we're going to verse 1. It says, there was a great outcry of the people and their wives. Everyone say wives. Now, we have not heard a lot from the ladies until now. <laughs> We've not heard in this book, we've not heard a lot from the ladies until right now when there's some injustice and the ladies begin to speak out against injustice. There was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. Why? For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters are many, therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been Brought into slavery, it is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our land and vineyards. Uh, now, let me just kind of break it down what they're dealing with here. Um, they begin to, to speak out against this kind of economic injustice. In any culture, you're going to have rich people and you're going to have poor people, and you have rich and poor in Israel at this time, but not only are they trying to rebuild some walls, but there is a famine in the land. And when there is a famine, it's a really, really bad time to be poor. Okay, there's never a good time to be poor. Can you say amen? But when there's a famine in the land, it's even the worst time to be poor because these people, I mean, they, they're, they're, they're taxed and they're trying to pay their taxes to the, to the king and, and they can't get food and they're trying to work on the wall. They can't provide for their families. And so there's this injustice going on. And you would think 
that, uh, that in the nation of Israel, that at this time, the rich would come along and assist the poor, but that isn't happening at all. Instead of assisting those who are struggling, the rich are actually taking advantage of the poor, and instead of sharing with them, they're, they're loaning them money at like really high interest rates. Okay, it'd be like me knowing that Brother Gary's going through a hard time and, and I go up to Brother Gary and instead of having a heart of compassion for Gary and saying, Gary, here, let me, let me either give you some money or, or loan you some money at no interest, I would, I would say, you know, I'd tell my wife, hey, Patty, I heard uh, Gary's going through a hard time. We could probably give him a loan for about 26% interest. It's like the credit card companies do to us. And we think they're doing us a favor. They don't like us. They only like our money. <laughs> okay? It's like, like payday lenders, you know. It's that kind of thing. And instead of the rich, again, this is their brethren here. Instead of them coming along and saying, let me help you through this hard time, they were taking advantage. Or they would say, well, hey, Gary, I, I like that little, that little cabin you, you and Doris live in. Uh, I'll give you some money, but give, give, me the, give me the title deed to your cabin. And then I'd know Gary wouldn't be able to pay that back, and eventually I'd be evicting you and those dogs of yours. I'm just kidding, just kidding you, brother. But that's what they were doing. You, somebody said that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. They're taking advantage of someone who's in a really, really bad situation. And it goes so far that they actually begin to take their children into debt slavery as repayment for the loans that they couldn't pay. I mean, this is human trafficking. I want you for just a moment to just imagine, use the gift of imagination that God gave us this morning, and just imagine for a moment you can't pay your mortgage, and the bank shows up and says, okay, if you can't pay us, we're going to take one of your kids. Some of y'all will be like, what's one, pastor? <laughs> I mean, maybe we can deal. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. That's, someone say that's wrong. <laughs> but seriously, this is how bad the situation is. And the irony is, is we know Israel's history. Israel's history is they've been sold into slavery over and over and over again. And, and now instead of delivering one another, they're actually enslaving their own people. So Nehemiah, he's the leader in verse 6. Look, he says, I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Nehemiah is a man of compassion. When he hears about this injustice, he's angry. You see, anger is a common reaction to injustice. Anger is a common reaction to injustice. But the, the proper response that we should have, the people of God should have, is to harness that anger into a force for righteousness and use it to rebuild something for good to correct the injustice. That's what we should do. But unfortunately, when you live in a culture that has turned its back on God and we experience injustice, what we do is we often act out in ways that actually bring further damage rather than truly correcting the injustice. Again, anger is a natural response to injustice, but our solutions must always line up with the character and nature of God. If we respond to injustice by killing, stealing, and destroying, do you know that we're actually copying the nature of Satan and not God? 
So anger, we, it, should, it should rise up on us when we see injustice. But then we need to go to the Lord and say, God, what, what, what's a healthy, good, positive solution that I can bring to this injustice? And that's what Nehemiah did. Look at verse 7. After serious thought. Somebody say serious thought. Come on, if you're watching us online, you're tuning in today, just type in the chat, serious thought. We need some serious thought because he, this goes back to Nehemiah's prayer life. He doesn't allow his anger to rule him. He takes his anger to the Lord and does some serious thought, and then he re, uh, decides his response. Do you know how much heartache you and I could be spared if, if we would just let our anger lead us to a place of serious thought before we took serious action? That's a real good place to say amen right there. Come on, how many wish you were better at serious thought than serious harsh words, serious lashing out, serious gossip, serious throwing things? Right? Before we respond to things, we ought to let whatever our passion is, whatever our emotion is, drive us to the foot of the cross, drive us to the throne of grace, and have some serious moments with the Lord, and then say, Lord, how should I respond to this? So verse 7 says, After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury, interest, from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold into the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your own brethren, or should they be sold to us? He's saying, Guys, we're, we're doing human trafficking here to pay for debts that we owe to each other. And it says they were silenced and found nothing to say. There was just no defense. They had no defense for what they were doing. But it took a man of courage, Nehemiah, to stand up and confront this injustice. But he doesn't just confront the injustice. He offers solutions. And this is what, I, what our world needs right now. Do we have injustice in our world? Sure we do. We have lots of it in many, many different places. But, but we need some leaders who will come together and offer solutions. Somebody say amen. Verse 9, then I said, then Nehemiah said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also with my brethren and my servants and am lending money and grain, but please let us stop this usury. He said, he said, it's okay to lend to each other. He said, but why are you putting these high interest rates on each other? That's, that's not right. You're taking advantage of the situation. Verse 11, restore now to them even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you've charged them. So they responded now. God touched their hearts. He softened their hearts. He gave them compassion, and they respond, and they say, we will restore it, and, and we will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. So Nehemiah, he's God's man. He's God's leader. He confronts injustice, and then he finds solutions to move forward. The next thing he does is he begins to inspire generosity by leading the way and setting the example. Now, we're going to continue the text in just a moment. But before we do, I just want to clarify a few things about what the Bible teaches about money. First of all, money in itself is not evil. Okay, we all need money. 
Money in itself is not evil. It's simply a tool. It, it, it's a necessity. So God is not upset if we have money. In fact, there are many righteous people in the Bible who were very rich. I mean, very rich. But they used their money to glorify God. They considered their wealth as, as something that God had entrusted to them. They weren't puffed up and prideful because they had some stuff. You see, we seem to have two approaches to money in our world. We, we either worship people with money or we villainize them. But neither one of those approaches is biblically accurate. So having money or even being very wealthy, that's not in itself necessarily ungodly. But the Bible does teach that having wealth carries with it a huge weight of responsibility. You hear me this morning? To much is given, much is required. When, 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 we have, when we have some stuff, when we have some wealth, and I know some of us are here this morning, well, you, you don't tune me out as a pastor. Well, he ain't talking to me. If he's talking about people with stuff and wealth, he ain't talking to me. Listen, I'm talking to all of us. If you make $30,000 a year, if you compare that to the rest of the world, you are wealthy. Do you know how many people in this world live on less than a dollar a day? Lots of them, millions and millions and millions and millions of them. So if we're sitting here today and we, we drove here and we got clothes and we got a house and all that, we're rich compared to most of the world's population. So Scripture teaches us that, that if we're not careful, we can do a couple of things. So we, number one, we can fall in love with money. That is evil. We can put our trust in our money. That is stupid. <laughs> or we can become greedy. We can become greedy because we have some stuff. We, we always want more. We're never satisfied. So although it's okay to have money, we do have to be very careful that it doesn't become an idol in our lives. Now, with that being said, I want to read this next passage and see how Nehemiah was a rebuilder of broken people, and, and one of his building blocks was generosity. Let's look at verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to uh, be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, he says, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. Nehemiah is saying that for 12 years he could have been taking the salary of a governor, but he refused. He's working for free for 12 years. He's setting an example of generosity. In, in the midst of a time where people are hurting and suffering. Verse 15, But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people. It means they had high taxes on them. And, and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of of God. Now, the few words that he ends that verse with, he says, I, I didn't do this. I didn't treat people this way. Why? Not because he couldn't have. He could have. And not because he wasn't even entitled to some salary and, and, and some taxes. That was part of his job. He could have, but he said, I did not because of the fear of God. This word means honor, respect, reverence. And in, in, in the case of generosity, Nehemiah knew that everything he had came from the hand of God. Therefore, as a way 
of honoring God, he's not going to continue to enrich himself when he doesn't need it. And he's not going to take advantage of people who have less than he has. When Nehemiah rolled into town, he could tell right away that there was a lot of poverty there. He knew that he could have taken advantage of the situation because he rolled in with some cash in his pocket and, and he could have bought land for almost nothing. But he didn't because of the fear of the Lord, because of his relationship.